We have been to so many families' houses where we'll go into their kitchens and there's absolutely nothing. There's like not even a grain of rice. God made us show up there. You know what I mean? Like these people have nothing. Like it's really, really sad. Mm. They open up their kitchen and there's like nothing in there. Wow. Like not even like a little bit of garlic on the side or like half a thing of rice. There's nothing. So these people are just like going around getting cassava or some leaves from the jungle or something. I'm not even sure how they're, I don't really understand how they're surviving. Welcome to Beyond the Matrix with your host, Adric Suber. Have you ever wondered if this is all there is in life? What lies beyond what we were made to believe? In this podcast, we're going to uncover real human stories of those who have taken courage to go off the beaten path and live in full authenticity. We're going to challenge what you believe is possible, fuel your spirit with courage and heart with warmth to fully live your truth. So buckle up and get ready for the ride beyond, beyond the, matrix. the Matrix. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Matrix. Today feels very special because the guest I'm going to have for today is tied to my birthday fundraiser. My birthday is coming in less than a week. And for my birthday, I decided to raise uh, a fund uh, for Feed Bali to help feed uh, families, underprivileged families in Bali that are suffering due to the COVID-19. And our guest today is a Canadian entrepreneur reborn as Balinese priestess. Uh, having worked in Hong Kong, San Francisco, uh, Toronto, Tokyo as media sales exec, she decided one day to leave uh, her world behind. And to when she traveled to Bali, she uh, met her now Balinese husband 21 years ago. And she took her first faithful step to become the first foreign Balinese uh, priestess in, in this country. And together with her husband, she is, uh, she, they both own a traveling company, uh, a wedding company, and also her cooking school, where we're currently in right now. However, when COVID hit uh, last year, they had to pivot. And they created Feed Bali, uh, a beautiful uh, nonprofit that has contributed to feeding over 4,000 families, over 500,000 meals in total. And this year, she is also publishing her first book in the series, uh, Trishna, Get of Love, Memories of Balinese Priestess. So without further ado, please join me and welcome a very special human being with such a beautiful heart, Francis C. Thank you so much, Edri. Uh, I'm so delighted to be speaking with you today and just sharing our tea over, over cookies. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were very, very excited for you to contribute with so much love, uh, mm. giving back to Bali, where you've been living for a year. And it's just so heartening to see young people like you uh, basically come up with innovative ideas and creative ideas of ways to give back. And I think we really thank you. With Edrix, he plans to raise 2800 but I think he's going to top that based on what I can see so far. And basically, he's feeding a small village here in Valley. And he will feed um, probably almost 100 families. And it'll be for two weeks and the uh, families of four and with about two to three meals a day. So it's really significant how much you're going to give back because the Balinese really need your help right now. Mm-hmm. And because um, as I say before, you're not just giving them food, you're giving them hope. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Like, thank you for doing this uh, for Bali. Um, I was, when I was, researching on like which organization to work with to donate to like I've been doing this for a couple of years for my birthday and this year I just felt really called to do something for Bali because I just moved here a year ago and then I felt like since then I have received so much abundance and connections and growth from this beautiful land and seeing the day-to-day of the locals and seeing the contrast of the experience between what I experienced although I'm, I'm local I consider mm-hmm. having a very expat like mm-hmm. I'm experienced like, you know going to retreats and like ex- ex- developing my spirituality and myself versus the locals that I saw like during these difficult times they're having a hard time even to get by to like feed themselves to put mouths yeah. in their in uh, food in their mouth so that's why i felt really called to your organization and my friend juna has also donated to you guys before and when i looked at your website i just felt so called to work with you because just from the way you documented everything the process like how meticulous you are in documenting each uh 
money that went into the fund and like how it was uh, used for the family, what food do you get all went to the spreadsheet. I was just like, I really trust you and your organization and the impact that you guys uh, have created for this land. So thank you for doing what you guys are doing. And you're just giving me goosebumps. Um, Edric, because I think that's exactly true what you're saying, that when people come to Bali, they feel really touched, but they really see a different side of Bali. Mm. They see that beautiful paradise that everyone dreams of. And of course, yes, absolutely that special energy where you can have, um, have growth and spirituality and all the beauty that comes with that. But now because of the COVID situation, a lot of people are suffering that when they weren't before, they were because about 80% of people rely on tourism in some way, whether they're a farmer or whether they're actually a bellboy or a waitress in a restaurant, because so many businesses have closed. We've been completely closed since March last year. Mm. So it's now been a long 18 months. Mm. And unfortunately, with uh, Indonesia being a developing country, we don't have the finances to give the stimulus checks like they might do in the Western countries like the U.S. or Canada. Mm. So people are really struggling here. So, but we have been so lucky uh, when we started this with the cooking school. Um, we shut down, as I said, last year in March. And then what happened was that uh, we basically, because we deal in food and because we didn't know what COVID was at that point, it was coronavirus at that point, we didn't know how it would affect the community. We just want everyone in our community to be safe. Mm -hmm. So we sent our team home with full salary and then we gave them enough money so they could be safe at home for two weeks. And then we shut ourselves up, myself, my husband and our daughter. We just stayed here for two weeks. And I became really depressed, actually. Mm -hmm. Probably I fell into this deep depression because we'd refunded all of our cooking classes, which were fully booked last March. And we have two little colleges. We'd also canceled all those days. And the world just shut down, as we know, a few days later after we closed our cooking school. And I just thought it would be a temporary thing. And then I thought, then I realized that maybe it wasn't going to be temporary because the world started shutting down mm -hmm. and the Bali airport shut down. And then I was really feeling sorry for myself. I have to say that. And my daughter was like thinking, she's rolling her eyes. She's a teenager. Mm -hmm. So she was saying, mom, you're being ridiculous. You know, we're fine. And here in our cook school, as you can see, we have two big fridges. We have this massive garden full of produce that uh, supports our cooking school. And because we don't have any more classes, what we're going to do with all that excess food. So on Santi's birthday, uh, which was March 23rd last year, we, I asked family and friends, I sent an email out and said, oh, could you donate $23, which I think it will feed a family of four for about two weeks. Mm. And therefore, they can also stay at home. And we're also going to donate all the produce from my garden, like lemongrass, galangal, lots of immune building spices. And we sent that out. And overnight, like I thought maybe we'd feed, we're going to feed the 20 families around our cooking school. Yeah. And then overnight, it was pledged about, I think, $30 million, which is way more than we expected. <laughs> and... So we're like, wow, this is a lot. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. So, and then because people like you and so many amazing donors like Juna, like you mentioned, um, so many people within the Bali community, as well as all over the world. So all the tourists who've ever been to Bali, like tons of Australians, um, Europeans, Canadians from all over the world contributed and have been doing so and continue to do so to mm -hmm. this day. So 18 months later, you're right, we've fed uh, 4,555 families as of yesterday. Wow. And we go all over Bali um, to help those people who have been affected by COVID the most. So it could be even um, a couple, a young couple who might be both working tourism mm -hmm. and they have young kids at home and they might be renting a small house in, let's say, Sunur area. And both of them are now unemployed for 18 months. So they would have had to go back to their village, original village, and maybe they do some farming if they're lucky enough to have some farmland with their home in their home village. But many people are not so lucky. And if you go to North Valley or East Valley or even far West Valley, these are the parts that are not close to any tourism areas. Mm -hmm. And they have very, very arid areas. So it's not farmland either. So, right. so we're hitting the people who were most affected by COVID, like ones who were in hospitality, as well as the ones who are the most impoverished. Mm. and living in the worst uh, conditions because these people in the most impoverished areas, they would have in the past received something from these people working in tourism right? because it would have trickled down to the village at some point. Yeah. But now there's no trickle. They're like, it's completely like a drought. So, so that's why we're trying to help both ends. Yeah. yeah. And in our previous conversation, I like what you said about you're not just giving food, you're actually giving them hope. 
because、mm-hmm. my initial kind of concern that came up was like, oh, what happens after the two weeks? Because、yeah. I, whenever I try to do good, I want to make sure that it's just it's just self sustaining. It's not、yeah. like just giving fish、uh, people the fish, but teaching them how to fish. Of course.、Um, but I really like what you mentioned about this is giving them the hope to be able to. Uh, just get out of the bed and like figure out solutions for themselves. That's right. So that's what we were seeing. That's what we were. It was very emotional、um, mm. because we're meeting all these families, and they really Valley. We have been through so many ups and downs. We have bombing. We have Mount Agung erupting. We have this and that and everything else. Yeah, you've so, seen it all in those four years. Okay, bring it on.、Okay. But, so the families here are very, very, very resilient, and、mm. they're very patient and accepting of whatever. I would say crap happens.、Yeah. Um, so they were thinking that you know this is going to be a, maybe a couple months and we'll be okay. So they really weren't thinking that it's going to be for a long time.、Mm-hmm. And I would say the people that we first saw, they just thought, "Oh, thank you so much for the food," and they're so grateful. Like I have to tell you, the most beautiful story. Well, we gave to three family,、uh, the twenty families around here. We were giving everything in a wheelbarrow because it's just myself, Adi, and Santi at the beginning. And to put all the food, we had to put, fill a wheelbarrow, and we would go from house to house. And when we went to the third house, we gave them their stuff, and then we had to come back here, refill the wheelbarrow, and go to the fourth house. And when we went to the fourth house, the third house had actually given half their food to the fourth house. It was、okay. in their kitchen, and I was just so astonished. Like I seriously had tears like rolling down my eyes because I couldn't believe these people. I without even a thought because that took us like five minutes to do that. Yeah, immediately gave half. Wow. What we gave them as、yeah. a gift, so like it was so beautiful to see. Like、yeah. that was our third and fourth family. Imagine the effect on us, right? We're like,、yeah. wow, this is really means something. It's、yeah. almost like, as I would say, a sign from God, like talking、mm-hmm. directly to us. So I thought, you know what? It's not like the food was going bad. It's not like you know、yeah. they had some extra to give away. They、wow. just immediately, without question, yeah, the sense of community is really strong、yeah. here. It's really strong. So that was so beautiful, and. When we also when we show up in villages, like the the volunteer, the local volunteers shows the families, and they'll know about it the, maybe the day before that we're coming because we don't announce it in advance because we don't want people to be upset or long lineups, and we just want to show up and give the food. And so when they get the food, they cannot believe it because we give as we said two weeks. It's a really big package because、yeah. usually they call it sambako here, which is a nine essential things that the government gives. And usually,、um, because they have to give so much, it's usually like maybe like two kilos or five kilos of rice and a little bit of instant noodles and some oil. Maybe it's not like bags and bags of food to、yeah. each family. So they're quite shocked when they receive it,、mm-hmm. and I think it's really memorable to them because it is so significantly different. And also because we're getting all the fresh produce. Yeah.、Um, and the reason why we want to do that too, not only because of the immunity, but we saw that as another way to support Balani's economy, the local economy. So we buy directly from the farmers in Kintamani,、yeah. and also from the local markets. Like just like you, Edric. Like so many people come up with ideas. Like Juna, like they come up with like, oh, you know, I'm going to run an online yoga class, and everything that I do for that online yoga class, I'll donate to Feed Battle. Yeah. Or someone goes, I'm going to do this beautiful painting, I'm going to auction it off, and there you go. Or someone does a raffle and they raise like someone just did that ceremonial shop, they just、mm-hmm. raised three thousand dollars by doing a raffle. So、uh, it's just amazing how many、yeah. different ideas and how many people can support. Yeah,、people. and how much people are willing to give and contribute. Yes, absolutely. And I really, even though this is definitely a very challenging times, but I really believe when it comes at times of adversity, it's time. It's, it's it is really when we're connecting to our humanity again.、Yes. It's when we see the best in humanity. That we put our selfish、uh, kind of ego behind and really、mm-hmm. see what is, the, what does the community really need, and what do we need as a collective, and how can I be a part of the change and help to、yeah. uplift each other, and not just like focusing on myself. Yes, absolutely. I think when we see because there are so many sad things happening around the world, like with all the wars and all the natural climate disasters, you could be really depressed. But then on the other side, when I We feel so lucky during this whole time because of Feed Valley, because we're on the receiving end of seeing all the donors give.、Mm. And as you said, I keep saying that. I keep saying that exactly your words. This is humanity. This、mm. is like one human giving to another human who they don't even know. Yeah, they're across the world. They're just like sending money here to help feed another family because they know that if they're in that situation, hopefully someone will step up、mm. and help them. And I also think this is the karma of the Balinese people. Because many many people wrote to me and said, "Oh my gosh, I love Valley so much. It 
really affected me. Like my whole uh, people, like my life changed when I came to Bali. Mm. Other people say their lives changed too. And they're really touched by Balinese people because Mm -hmm. yes, it's a beautiful island. We have like beaches and mountains, but it's really the people that make up this island and make it so special. Yeah. And so I, when I say, when I see, especially the hospitality people who I see them, I say, you know, this is just your karma coming back to you because you have given so much in hospitality. You've taken care of guests so well for so many years. And you know what? This is just a small gesture of thank you to you. So it's all just coming around. Yeah. Yeah, It's really beautiful. Yeah. Like what goes around. Like, because all these people have been touched by people in Bali before. And now when they see opportunity, they feel like they're called to give back. That's right. Yeah. And I want to hear more about how you, what keeps you going to keep doing this? Because like you said, you were running your cooking school and you were in the hospitality industry and you were heavily impacted by this as well. You had to shut everything down to focus on this. I think that, to seriously, I think Feed Valley is what's kept us going. Um, because first of all, we had enough savings for like three months. And then in around uh, the end of April, we were just spent. Like Adi, Santi and I, we were going at the market early in the morning. We'd pack in the afternoons. I mean, pack in the around lunchtime and then distribute it in the afternoons wherever we were going. And by April, that was about a whole month of giving. We were completely spent. And we actually wanted to stop because we thought, you know, we need to pivot and make money for ourselves mm. because at that point 100% of the donations was going towards the food and we we're just eating up the cost of transport and our time didn't matter we just wanted to volunteer that and when we wanted to stop we said we're going to use all the donations that we have so far and we distribute probably until mid-may when we put that on our socials people just started calling me and emailing me and say no 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 mm-hmm. you're supposed to take a part of this for your survival. Yeah. You, we understand. We never expected you guys just to do this forever yeah. and not eat yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, right. <laughs> so so that's why our our fund is that also we started giving more. We have $30. So we can also support a whole team. So we had six um, wedding organizer, event organizers, and drivers who became our core team. Yeah. who are all unemployed. And we all take a survival salary. And it's only... Um, in total, 10% of the total fund. So out of a $30 donation, $3 goes to the funding of the staff and transport and logistics. Mm-hmm. So that's how we survive so right. far. And you know, uh, the other way I'm, I'm trying to survive too is this book. So I've been yeah. meaning to write books uh, for a long time, but because of the pandemic, I've had a lot more time on my hands, even with Feed Valley. Mm. So I've actually put my head down and written the book. And it's on its final stages of just coming together. And I'm going to be publishing on October 10th. So we're hoping that will be one source of income for us to yeah. survive. Because we really don't know, with all the uncertainty, we don't know when Bali will open. Mm. I mean, every time we think that Bali is going to open, uh, we go into another lockdown. So it's, mm. been, it's been lots of up and downs here. Um, and it is really hard. You're right. It is like there's a lot of you can feel even when you go see the people, there is a sense of despair. Yeah. But when we come together, mm-hmm. when you see everyone getting like the food and everyone working together, and even when our team is packing here, there's so much laughter. Yeah. And I say to our team, I'm like, God, if you guys weren't here, I swear I killed myself right now. Oh, like I think I would. Like I'd be yeah. so depressed. Yeah. But there's this energy that's feeding off. We're feeding off each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, really, there's this energy. There's there's hopefulness. And even our team, when we when we talk about it, we said it just feels so nice to be able to do something helpful right now. Oh, to be able, like, you know what I mean? It's just it makes you feel like seriously, if everyone just did something helpful they would be so much happier i think that yeah. is the key to happiness actually oh my god yes i really do yes like we're i we feel guilty because we feel happy yeah like we go through of course some periods of despair but that's only if we look at the news but if we actually completely ignored what's happening mm-hmm. in the rest of the world and just focused on feed valley yeah we'd actually be really happy yeah because we know we're helping people we're doing we're doing the best we can and we know that if we just keep going, uh, this energy will just keep cycling, and we're going to keep, we're able to keep helping people. We yeah. know that. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the key to happiness. Yes. In life, that it took me so it sounds so simple and straightforward, yeah. but it took me so long to figure out. Uh-huh. Like for a long time, I was constantly focusing on like how can I satisfy my own needs, mm-hmm. and it always felt like no matter how much I try to satisfy my needs and desires, I always felt so empty and void, like mm-hmm. nothing ever feels enough. But the moment I start to expand my attention uh, to 
other people to like mm-hmm. the needs of the community to how can I help contribute I feel so much more expensive and mm-hmm. like so much happier like you say yeah and it could be as simple as smiling at another yeah. person it could be that simple it doesn't have to be something financial yeah or it could be as simple as like you see someone who looks a bit sad and you smile at them and say yeah. hello to them and, and acknowledge them yeah. I mean if people did that on a daily basis to one other person, the whole world would be different. A hundred percent. I think it's really the goal of humanity yeah, to be there for each other. We're not meant to be in this world by ourselves and like to uh, make as much money as we can and yeah. like to think about how can we be better than others. Like it's very isolating. Like we're here, we're social creatures. So we're meant to help each other, hold each other, walk each other home. And I really love what you said about when I asked what keeps you going is Feed Bali is what keeps you going. Yes, it is. Right? Like, <laughs> we're not just feeding people. Which <laughs> yeah, is so beautiful. Like, it's not just, you're not just feeding people food. Like, you're feeding off just the beautiful energy of just doing good for others. And Yeah. And really, when you see the uh, people's, okay, do you see the despair in their eyes, right? Yeah. When you when you first see them in the lineup waiting for the food. But then when you they see the food that they get, and then we give it to them. Their eyes just like light up. Like it's just like they can't. It's like Christmas. <laughs> it's like God, but that's how be how parents feel on Christmas Day. Yeah. You know, when they see their kids opening and stuff. Yeah. But it's just so much better because it's not even your kids. It's yeah. just it's just human to human. You know. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. But you just know that this is gonna help them. Yes. In some way, and they're gonna remember. A couple of things. Like one, to me now, I realize there's nothing that can beat that feeling of knowing that you've made a difference in someone's life uh-huh. or how you have made a contribution to make someone's life better yeah. or like make just make someone happier yeah. you know versus thinking of like how can i focus on me 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 yeah so that's why when people say oh you're so noble to be like doing this for your birthday uh-huh. in a way similar, similar yeah. to you it's yeah. making me so happy yeah. <laughs> like physically it's not a nobleness it's <laughs> You're totally right. When people, when I first was doing it, all the, the ballet media was like, oh, we want to follow you around to like interview you. You're such a hero. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not a hero. I'm just like, I just wish people know this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is what we're supposed to do. Yes. It's, I, I mean, it makes me sad that it's considered special. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it sounds nuts, but I'm like, my God, anyone can do this. And I said this on my post the other day. Anyone can be a hero. If you think this is hero, you know what? Everyone is a hero yeah. because, you know, you just have to step up, step forward one step at a time yeah. and, and it'll just start going. Like yeah. everyone should know that like anyone can be a hero. Yeah. Because this is not hero. This is just what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. for humanity. Yes. I love that. It's just being reminded. I mean, unfortunately it took COVID to remind us, yeah. you know, you know, look around you, see what needs to be done. Not just for like people who are hungry, but see what really needs to be done for our world so that we can make it a better place. You know, how we can connect, how we can clean up our rivers, how we can keep our environment clean. All these things are important. Mm-hmm. But how like we all think about it, we're all conscious about it, but actually putting into action to do something about it. And I see lots of that action happening here in Bali, mm-hmm. even with river cleaning and, and other people giving food. It's just, it's amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And this time is just a beautiful reminder to really connect with what yeah. really matters in our humanity. Like, yeah. because I think a lot of people these days are so detached from yeah. the essence of what being like human really means because of we're so sucked into the consumerism, like capitalism yeah. and all that crap that like really takes us away from what what what's really important. Like at the end of the day, when you're at, at your death, that like, what do you remember? Yeah, I think, I don't know what it is that why people are so wrapped up in consumerism. Like, I think maybe it's because they're scared mm. and maybe because of their insecurity that they have to show a, a, a persona mm. or a status level to the outside world. Yeah. But really that doesn't matter. Like, like I have lived like half a century and I know that that doesn't matter. I knew it when I first came to Bali, that's, I went to business school. So all my friends are bankers and consultants and like high flying, super rich, really great people. But I was never on that path. I always thought, you know, I need, there's balance. We need balance in the world. And yes, money is important. But money is there to do something with it. It's like energy. Yes. To put it back into the world. And how are you going to do like if I was like, for instance, if I was Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, I wouldn't be going to. The, I mean, yeah, I could go build rockets, but 
but you know what? There are like people in Africa and here in Indonesia who don't have basic water. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that first? Yeah. Like that's what I don't understand. I would do that yeah. first. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, 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 a, that's a good segue because I really want to zoom out and yeah. see the life of Francis. Like yes. the journey. Yes. Like you said, this is what we're supposed to do to be to hold each other to like help one another yeah. as fellow humans. But unfortunately, it's not the common mindset that no. most people, majority of people, have today. Right. So I'm curious. You know what happened during your 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 lifetime that started to shift your consciousness, you know, kind of shape and mold this yeah. of compassion that you currently have. Well, I'm really lucky for my parents because my parents, even though they're Chinese, I was born in Toronto, and they have the typical like tiger Chinese. You have to be successful person um, persona. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, my mom and my dad, they're both very creative. My dad was an architect, mm-hmm. and my mom always said the most important thing in life. Uh, yes, money is important, but the most important thing is happiness and health. Mm. So that was kind of drilled into me from when I was small. Yes. And then when I went to school and I went to business school, I had really great friends. And then even when I was like 21, we graduated from university. We had a luncheon and we were talking about what we want in, a, in our partner, in our future partner. And my friends were talking about, like, yeah, I want my my wife to be beautiful and she's going to be worldly and well-traveled. And then one was that, like, I want them to be super successful and intelligent and yeah. funny or sporty or this. And all I could think of was, like, I had these four Cs. Uh, compassion. Right. Communication. Courage. And caring. Wow. How old were you when you... 21. 21. Well, so I said, those like are the four, four C's. Yeah. I thought of the four C's in Singapore. <laughs> Credit cards. Uh, condo and... Uh, car, right? Car, yeah. That only two years ago. Yeah. Was well, so a Singaporean guy told me he's looking for a girlfriend. And he said, all, all the girls are looking for the four C's. And I said, my four C's? He's like... Are, <laughs> what are you talking about? He was like totally confused. I'm like, what are you talking about? So like right then I knew that because that was important for me as for friendship. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that when people are considerate and caring and and courageous, I think courage is actually one of the most important character things to developing your children mm. so without courage people are going to be afraid to step outside the status quo yeah. people are going to be afraid to do something different than what society expects of them people are afraid to try something new so i think courage and like compassion all those things are so important in our world and that's what should be taught in school yeah you know what i mean not like uh, not the car's credit card <laughs> <laughs> condo thing i'm like what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was totally flabbergasted when that guy told me that. I was like, really? That's the four C's. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so that's where it all started. Like, I've always been predisposed to that, I think, because of my upbringing. Wow. And yeah, I think also, as you said, spirituality, I, I really believe in goodness. Mm. I really believe in karma. I, I, I believe I'm Hindu, of course, because, but I believe that. It doesn't matter how God or spirit manifests in your life because that's just how you connect to it. Mm. And however it shows up in your life, great. It doesn't matter to me, like whether it's Jesus or just spirit, energy, it's okay. So that's what I've always believed in. I just believe in goodness. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. I believe that everyone in their body and soul has goodness Mm. and it could have been clouded or affected by their experiences in life. Mm. And I also hope that with enough love that they receive love or nurturing, that it could be drawn out again. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can feel love. And it will overflow. Right. The people. That's right. Their lives and this is what creates this ripple effect. Of yeah, I think it all goodness. comes down to love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious because you, you say you kind of develop this type of uh, values quite yes. early on. Yeah. Um, but it seems like somehow you also still got kind of sucked into, you know, corporal because I was always still influenced by what friends and family said were security. Yeah. Like you cannot, you cannot get away from it. They're like, oh, why are you doing that? That's not secure. Like, yeah. like, even when I went, okay, so I was working in Toronto first at a newspaper. I was doing really well there. But then I decided I really wanted to try San Francisco because the whole internet was just starting. This is 1999. So I went there. 
And I really want to work for this really creative company called Sparks.com, but there's a small company and they hadn't got their funding yet. So they weren't sure they could hire me, but I would have worked for them for free. Like yeah. I didn't even care. <laughs> but then like my brother and my sister-in-law, they're really worried about me because I was just basically hanging out on their couch and basically <laughs> squatting. So like, get out, get a job. <laughs> So then they put, hooked me up with CNET, which was one of the top internet companies at that time. Mm. So I strolled in, got the interview, got the job, and I didn't want it. I, I didn't I didn't want that job because it offered a lot of money, stock options, like the whole works, right? Yes. But I could just sense that I didn't belong there. So I, so my friends were like, are you nuts? You have, like, all, I had lots of friends that were working in Silicon Valley, like some at Amazon already, and some of this and some of that. Yeah. They said, for instance, you have to, CNET's like the top tier company. You work there and you can work anywhere. Like, oh, okay, so I accepted the CNET job, and I was the most miserable person. Yes. Everybody was there doing like crazy. It's like now all the stocks were uh, crazy, crazy. They weren't even working. They're just on the blackberries or oh, blackberries. Uh, it was uh, and my my director wanted me to have a blackberry. She's like, "You're the only manager that's going to have a blackberry because I want you to like totally connected." I'm like, "I don't want a blackberry." Yeah. She's like, "Why not? I'm giving it to you because I'm already so connected to you. Like you can call." <laughs> email me anytime i don't want that thing you guys don't even talk to each other anymore yeah i I did not want that blackberry thing right but she just thought it was nuts and then i'm like okay i just didn't i did not belong there so then i went to asia Mm. because i was lured by it because one of my good friends um from business school was starting a company in hong kong he needed my media slash internet background to help him launch his company in hong kong it was called hungry for words and then I was even more miserable because, oh, my God, internet startup. Like, how could you even be more crazy, crazy hours? And then I realized at that point, that's when I totally burnt out. Mm. And that's when Adi showed up, which is my husband now. And um, I met him on my third day in Bali, on October 8, 2000. And that's what my book's going to be about. Yeah. So my book is about that. And our journey, the, the first book is about that until our, our, until our wedding. But then after that, it's a journey of like becoming Balinese yeah. and understanding the local culture. Because we lived in Adi's family compound, which is with his parents. That's yeah. what, when you marry to Balinese, you move into their compound, into the into the husband's family and that experience, and then how we became a Pumanku, which is the temple priestess, mm. which was a long process, basically yeah. from 2010 until 2016. Yeah. That was a process just to become the Pumanku. And then, and it wasn't something that was chosen. Um, it's something that God chooses you. It's very, okay, so in Bali, the ways you become Pumanku, a holy person in a temple, is either, it's different in different villages, but in Krobokan, it's through um, trance. Mm-hmm. So the God actually goes into your body and yeah. you embody that God. So my God happens to be Barong. It's a tiger. So it's like a mythical creature. Yeah. And Barong actually fights black magic and is a white to the black. Rhonda is a ba- uh, black. Mm-hmm. So it's always just balance and ballet. That's why we have black and white chick cloth. Mm-hmm. That's why we're always um, giving offerings to the shrines as well as to the floor. So everything about Bali is about balancing. Mm-hmm. Because we believe there are both light forces as well as dark forces happening yeah. all the time. So they're always trying to appease both. Yeah. And that's, uh, so that was a process. And doing that process, I had to be really, like, I did not want to be a holy person. Like there's. Like, <laughs> I was about to ask, like, that was quite a big leap from yeah. that scene to yes. like becoming a, like a, a holy person. Yeah. Like that. Okay. First of all. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. We thought I was just, I was really, really ill from 2009, 2010. I had all these strange things happen to me. And we kept going to doctors. And then finally I had this really bad session where it was like my, I had a stroke where my face was completely twisted. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Balinese healers here and they basically said it was black magic. It took it out of my body. But Adi didn't trust any of this. So Adi is a very modern Balinese guy. Yeah. And he decided to take me to Singapore, which we did. And we spent three weeks at Glen Eagles Hospital mm-hmm. doing every single test up and down. And we spent thousands of dollars, like all our savings. And there was nothing wrong with me. Like. <laughs> uh-huh. It was crazy because we here we had gone done the CT scans with a New York doctor who was here at the time, a friend of ours. And he looked at he's like, This is really weird because your symptoms is like a cross between a tumor in the brain, stroke, 
and um, epilepsy. Wow. Because he's a stroke specialist, this New York doctor. Yeah. And he's like, it makes no sense. What? I can't even diagnose this. And his sister has epilepsy. He's yeah. like, this is crazy. So, yeah. So, they said, in Singapore, the doctors wrote all my medical reports. This could be something spiritual. Because Adi had recorded me during trance. The Singapore doctor wrote that this yeah. could be something spiritual. Yeah. Just Singapore doctors were educated in the UK. Yeah. The top Singapore doctors wrote that this could be something spiritual. I mean, that's your diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, there's nothing medically wrong with you. Mm. So, that was crazy. So, so then Adi was... We were fearful, so we actually considered either moving to Singapore or back to Canada or somewhere else just to get away from this world, this magical world that we didn't understand and it was making me sick. But then I was like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not letting someone, because we just bought this land where the cooking school is, and we had these dreams of what we're going to do for the future for our daughter. I said, you know, I'm not going to let these forces stop me from my life. Like, I can't. So that's a whole other courage comes from. Yeah, talking about courage. Yeah, you have to be brave and just... You know, when life throws you like something bad like that, you just have to fight against it. So that's what I did. I learned how to protect myself. And then I was fine. I learned how to protect myself and I was fine for a whole year. Wow. And just basically, just before my daughter's big ceremony, I became sick again, the same symptoms again, like a stroke. And this time we went to the healers here in, ba- in Ubud and they couldn't, um, they couldn't, they didn't know what was wrong. They couldn't take it out. They said, this is something different. And then so we went to a top, top healer in, in in our village, actually. Top healer here, his name was Ratu Aji Sudikska, and he was in Krobokan. He actually lives a three-minute walk from my house in Krobokan. This is our this is our new home, but our family home is there. And Adi had never brought me there because going to a Balinese healer here is not like going to a private doctor's office or mm-hmm. like uh, it's not like you have any privacy. It's an open compound. Right. Everybody's waiting together. And you see the healing. So if it's something magical or spiritual, you'll see people screaming, writhing on the floors, freaking out, throwing up. It's gross. <laughs> so Adi had never wanted to subject me to that in, in our village. Like that's why we'd always gone to healers everywhere else, in Kuta, in Ubud, somewhere else. Right. But Adi at this point was desperate because uh, the whole band of healers that had helped me back in 2010 couldn't do anything now at this stage. So... We went to Ratuaji, and the second he saw me, we were, it was this long, crazy thing that happened. But whatever was inside me jumped into Adi, and it was like we were having a feud. And all of our neighbors <laughs> were waiting to see Ratuaji. I was I was um, fast forwarded to the top front of the line because I was dancing into his I danced I was in trance right. I danced into his compound and it was like, oh okay we'll see you right away <laughs> you're dancing yeah. and he's like why are you dancing like that and I told him how I felt when I was dancing like, it feels like I have to go shake my head and he goes oh you have been marked as a holy person and I'm like Ugh. I just start laughing I'm like no no, no. You're, you're wrong about that I'm not I don't even go to temple yeah. like my my mother-in-law does that like I'm too busy running our wedding business or travel business raising my daughter like no 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 thank you yeah and he's like okay and I just said I didn't go home so I, I kind of ignored what yeah. he said I, I basically paid no attention to that yeah but then I and I continued doing my business like our travel business and we were entertaining clients during Christmas season I would go to all these New Year's Eve parties and I eat like steak and roast beef which I always ate and I would get massively sick like these massive headaches which i never had before and i would take me to the doctor and get me all the medicine but nothing would take away these headaches yeah and then finally adi said you know what this could be something spiritual <laughs> so he took me back to the right to edgy yeah. and the second right to edgy saw me from like far away on his company he's like oh you've been eating steak like from far away he didn't even touch me or anything i'm like oh, uh, yes i've been eating steak i'm canadian yeah <laughs> respect he's like last time i saw you i told you you you're going to become a holy person do you understand what that means i'm like not at all (laughs) so i couldn't eat beef because my god is a barong Mm. and it's a manifestation of shiva anyways in hindu you're not supposed to eat beef because it's a very sacred the cow is sacred right and especially for shiva because the cow is like the transport or like the vehicle that you do for transportation yeah so, okay, so then this is 2012, I remember. And I said, okay, you know what? 
I want to give because, you know, it's really making me sick. It's insane, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. It doesn't make any logical sense. No. But if I leave here, I get really sick. Wow. And that's like a confirmation that you need to like follow this path. Yes. To be. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about following the path. Okay. So I was still rejecting the whole idea. Yeah. Right? I guess because even normal Balinese people are scared to become a holy person because it involves. What is Yeah. What does it involve? What does it entail? Your whole life. Okay, it's a lifetime position. It's not like, oh, five-year position. Yeah, it's not like a... It's lifetime. Yeah. Okay, first of all, it's lifetime. Second of all, you are responsible. So a normal Balinese person, let's say it's a ceremony like Pergawasi. So they would go on Pergawasi Day, and they would do the ceremony for like two hours. You, as a holy person, you would have done the day before to maybe clean up the temple a bit. Then the morning of, early, early morning, you would do everything in your house to do first. Plus, you have a, another special ceremony. So you're there... Basically, you're there three times more, at least three times more than a normal person. So if normal person would be there for two two hours, you would be there for the full day plus beginning and end two for every ceremony. Wow. You're going, you have to go to ceremonies at all of these different temples too, not just your village ceremonies. So your community might just go to your village temple ceremonies. We have to go to other ceremonies as well. So it's a so you think, well, how are you going to feed your kids? Like, how are you going to live? So like, people think that too. It's a huge time. Yeah, we're running this like wedding travel company where like yeah. I'm on the phone all the time. I'm I'm checking checkout with all the guests, dealing with events, and I did. I seriously, I did not want to do that. I said, you know what? I am not ready to do that. Okay, like maybe when I'm retired, mm-hmm. I'll be a holy person. <laughs> okay, like I should do deals with God. So I was sitting in my office. My office used to be this, like, I didn't mean this hut in our house in Kroboken. It was like a windowless thing. I would sit in my computer and it was a big uh, iMac and it, and the electricity would go out. So because it's an iMac, I can't work. Mm. So I come out of my little hut and look around, thinking uh, we've had a blackout in the, in the village. But then I went, I could hear the stereo or TV from my neighbor and I go to the other side neighbors. So everyone else's electricity is working. Mm. Just not mine. Because you know what? I was supposed to be a temple. But I'm not a holy person yet, right? Oh my but God. I'm not going to temple. All right. Because I think work is more important. Yeah. Because I'm Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> so I was like, hey. So then, of course, because there's no electricity at our house, there's no way I can work. So I go in the shower, get dressed for temple, go to temple. And then in our travel business, everything that we did for travel and weddings is all by word of mouth. We never had a website or anything. We did no marketing whatsoever. We were just busy based on word of mouth. And so when people, well, let's say you would get my name and say, oh, Francis lives in Bali. You should get her to recommend you. So let's say you say, I want to stay in Ubud. I go, okay. So I don't know you at all. I get your budget. I get all, you answer all these questions. And usually I would recommend like three different hotels to you and three different, your budget. Mm. So it takes a lot of work going back and forth, right? Yeah. But because I was at Temple, and by this time I did have a Blackberry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I'm just going to give Edric the, the Como Uma Ubud because that's all I have time to check availability. And, and I actually believe he should stay there anyway. So yeah. boom. And weirdly, there would be no back and forth. People would be like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. They book it. And not only would they book it, they chase me because I was so busy at Temple. Yeah. They chased me to pay me. I'd be like, what's going on here? Like, it was so odd. Wow. So if I would stay at Temple, like money would just fall into my lap with hardly any effort. Right. And if I didn't, I'd get sick. Like it was messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what's in your mind was like, I would if I didn't have time to like work, then like I wouldn't have couldn't make money to like feed my family. Right. But now if I just go to the temple, the money just falls on my lap. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, it was really weird, and it's continues to this day. To this day, it's the same. It's the same thing. If I don't go to temple, things don't work out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, talking about surrendering to the universe. Yeah, you, know? you just like, have to surrender. Yeah, like for you, the signs just like couldn't be more obvious yes. it's just like a like a so flash on your face breaks okay stop yeah because you know people in bali keeps saying about surrendering but like the signs are usually very subtle yeah but for you it's just like here yeah, you know? the signs are uh, the signs are like things are just like it's just Things just completely lined up for me. Wow. Like even with Feed Valley, an example is like there's this family in Marga that we got a donation um, from this from this guy. He, I matched him. Yes, I matched him with his family. There's a family of 
three adults and five well, kids to adults. So eight people in that family and they have like zero income and the father has kidney disease. So I got this, actually he's from Singapore, this Indonesian Singaporean, this guy who wanted to adopt family. And for some reason, I just wanted to match this guy. I had at least 20 um, sponsors for my adoptive family program and I had about 10 families so far. Mm -hmm. But I just knew I should match this one with this one. And he hadn't sent me his donation yet. But I matched them. I said, this is your family. And then he sent me, instead of sending me 880000 which is a one month of sponsorship, he sent $1.5 million. I go, oh, is this for two months? I sent back to him. He said, no, 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 I just want to give them extra for the first month. And when we went there, the story was so sad that Adi, and it was just amazing because his two kids, nobody's working in this whole house, eight people, nobody's working. They live in the most desperate situation. And not only were we able to give him the normal adoptive family, but we were able to give him like one million more because of this donor. Mm. And just like I didn't, I didn't make that happen. You know what I mean? Like the donor by himself decided to give extra money. Yeah. For this family. Yeah. You know, it was just really weird. Yeah. Because I, I, I just said this is your family. I didn't say like the profile of it or anything. Like I didn't tell him. I said I've matched you with the family. Yeah. But. It, it was the right family. Yeah. So, so I'm just saying things just line up like that yeah. all the time. Yeah. If you're like truly surrender, yeah. like not try to like force your way through like right. to make things differently from like what you're meant to do, like yeah. things will just like kind of fall into places. Yeah. Like it felt like, oh, like the universe is conspiring like to, to work in your favor. Yeah. Adi always says that. He says if something's really hard and you keep trying every other way to do it and it still doesn't work, he says, find something else. Stop. Yeah. He says, stop and wait. Yeah. That's also surrendering. Because we're so used to being, especially who you are, like go-getter and doing yeah. things. You're so used to trying to think of action plan. Right. And to surrender actually sometimes means don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really hard for us not to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> one things to work our ways. We have certain expectations or like how we want things to play out. And then when they don't match our expectations, we get disappointed. We're like, oh, I want right. to change things. I'll fix things. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to sit and wait. And I learned that a lot from the Balinese people because the Balinese are so accepting of their situation. Like, I've never seen it more so than here. Like anything that happens to a Balinese person, they don't freak out. They don't go into massive depression. Like maybe they're a bit depressed inside, but they don't, sh they don't reveal that. They just contemplate it and think about it and then deal with it. Basically, mm -hmm. they just deal with it, but not in dealing with it, like how we would like fix it. Yeah. Just, it's a very accepting way of dealing with it mm -hmm. and i think that gives them a lot of peace because they yeah. think it's like out of their hands mm -hmm. see we don't think it's our hands we think we can control it yeah you know but if you really believe that you know there's something up above us and beyond us and it is out of our hands yeah just wait yeah something might show up like i think about that when i think of well, the families that we show up to like the ones where we go house to house Maybe they're like, we have been to so many families' houses where we're going to their kitchens and there's absolutely nothing. There's like not even a grain of rice. We knew like God made us show up there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like these people have nothing. Like it's really, really sad. Mm -hmm. We open up their kitchen and there's like nothing in there. Wow. Like not even like a little bit of garlic on the side or like half a thing of rice. There's nothing. So these people are just like going around getting cassava or some leaves from the jungle or something. I'm not even sure how they're, I don't really understand how they're surviving. I think there's a lot of faith here. I think that's why Bali is still so resilient. I mean, if any other country has, has or city has been locked down for 18 months, there would be riots. Yeah. There would be like, people would go ballistic, man. Like, yeah. Like they like seriously, they uh, they already are. Like the whole world yeah. is a riot. Yes. Like over the vaccine, over this, or mask, or that. Not over feeding your food. Like not like if you can't feed your kids, right? I mean, people will go into riot, but they don't care. Right. Do so you think about that? It's That's unbelievable. <laughs> the situation was like so different. Right. And, like Bali's been such a very much uh people are in such a low uh stayed no, that's right and then in terms of the level of suffering yet they're still they still maintain this feeling of this peace, peace.
That's right. Yeah, which is incredible. It is incredible. Like yeah, that's the, one of our missions. Yeah, the resilience. Like really, we were really that was one of the missions of Feed Valley too. We anticipated, like Addie and I were actually really worried that people would get angry and people would do something that they would regret by doing rioting or stealing from stores or something. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. Like, but I think anywhere else it might have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people's emotions would get beyond them. But here there's just so much faith that things will get will be better and somehow they will survive. Yeah. And they have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is so refreshing, especially when you look at if you look at what they're doing from a Western lens from you know like a fast-paced type of like society, mm-hmm. people think like Oh, it's just laziness. Like they just don't want to do anything. So, like we have to constantly find ways to fix and find solutions to the problems. But sometimes, like you said, the best thing to do uh, is to not do anything. Right. Sometimes it is. Yeah. yeah. It really is to not do anything. Yeah. Because some my feet valley might show up in your door just like you said. Yeah. <laughs> you just never do. Yeah. Like it's just. Yeah. Like I feel like God just works that way. Like we are something divine is orchestrating all of this mm-hmm. and it is our job to hear it as you said to notice and observe and listen mm-hmm. like so many people have asked me even in the past year francis how do you live in the grace and how do you how do you find how do you find like how do you hear it i go it's actually inside you mm-hmm. you ha- actually have to be still mm-hmm. not like do meditation sit on some like mountain and be a monk no 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 like, but you do have to find some quietness. Yes. Away from all the stuff. And you, you just listen to your own voice. Your voice is trying to speak to you mm-hmm. all the time. I truly believe that everyone's voice is trying to speak to them. Yeah. And these days, people don't have that time and space to listen right. to that voice because okay. we're so busy getting busy. You yes. know, like all we do is just react there's just so many uh-huh. simulation notification and everything yeah. grabs our attention right. like there's never enough space for us to tune into like the voice right and i think i guess that's what happens with you when you uh got well, down yes moved to that's Kali. right the voice just kept getting louder and louder you couldn't ignore it anymore that's right and then that's what kind of guided that you then you felt guided to move to i Kali. did because i felt like i could finally see what was important mm. rather than what was urgent mm. you know because we're always doing the urgent you know yes. we're always rushing around checking off let's go okay we did that we did that we did yeah. that but because i didn't have anything urgent i could only look for something that was important then because i had wiped that slate whole totally clean and i think yeah. that's why people do retreats you know so they can hear their own voice and i think that's really nurturing i think that's a, a really positive thing that people should do that yeah to take time for themselves to be by themselves you know i think that's really important so that you know people many people might be afraid to be by themselves as they feel lonely mm. but i always taught my daughter you know you're your own best friend honey mm. like you are your own best friend and you'll always be there. You're mm-hmm. like, you will, you will always have her, wow. you know? So if you know that you always have your best friend with you yeah. because you are your own best friend, <laughs> then you won't feel insecure. Yes. Feel like lonely because you, it, you can't mm. when you have that, filled in filled up with you yeah that that really touched my heart because i I dealt with so much like insecurity and loneliness growing up because i didn't know that i have my own best friend yeah Yeah. and i think you you, you're doing such a great job as a mom to raise your daughter (laughs) to this this beautiful kind-hearted soul because she was the one who kind of came out with good value yes volume to the way you raise your daughter and kind of values that you are you're building uh, when you're raising her, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, because I really do see everybody has something to contribute in this world. Everyone's special. Everyone is so unique, and that's what I love about people. You're just <laughs> constantly surprised by what they might say or do. Yeah. And I think if people are just wait, as you said, and they let people do their thing, like the world is so beautiful when you yeah. when you wait for that. Yeah, you'll be totally surprised all the time, and then life is never boring. Mm. and i write i think all the social distractions like are, i even get distracted of course on instagram i think they're so cool and mm. so vibrant <laughs> yes. and it's open it's <laughs> another good thing yeah. But yeah but you know but when you look around and you can just see everything around you there's just so much beauty right in front of you yeah. and i think that's also the source of happiness if 
when you're in that moment, that's also a Balinese thing. They live in the moment, which is good and bad because they didn't really save enough money. Yeah. <laughs> and then also people are also blown away that they can still do give offerings, yeah. you know, because they still continue to do that every day, morning and night. Yeah. Whether what whatever they have, they'll still share with God. Mm. Like it's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I first heard that you were kind of making this into kind of like a social enterprise that you're taking a little bit out of the portion to feed yourself, to, to kind of uh, yeah. give salary to the team. I was so glad because I was like, I was so concerned, like, Oh, <laughs> their well-being, you yeah. know, like, because, no, so many people were so kind when we said that we needed to do the online cooking classes or, or pivot or maybe I'd become a virtual assistant or something, like work remotely. People are like, no, 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 you have to continue Feed Valley because what you guys are doing means so much. Yeah. It helps so many people because, as I said, not just help the family, but it really helps our, our team. Like our team loves doing this as well as the farmers. Like, I can't imagine. Like, every time we show up <laughs> in Kitamani, they're like, yes, <laughs> you're going to buy 50 kilos of cabbage. <laughs> 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 they're like, so happy to see us roll up. Yeah. We go with different farmers every time, so it all spreads out. Oh, wow. And, yeah. that, like, you, yeah. like, circular economy. That's right. Yeah, and exactly. uh, that's what I think so smart about what you're doing because right. not only you're feeding... A family's food but right. you're also supporting those families yeah so i just i i put in my campaign like you're doubling your your impact by yeah. donating to feed valley yeah 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 because we see a lot of people and and, and there's some other wonderful organizations but as you said we don't like to cut any corners we're just so meticulous in yeah. what we do so we just want to maximize every dollar that you guys give us, you know. So yeah. we want it's just also the Chinese thing, the value. So you know, getting more value. <laughs> I spend the thirty dollars, these farmers get it, and this family gets it, and our team gets some, you know. So yeah. it's it's all spread out and shared, which yeah. is really what Bali is about. It's all about sharing and community. Yeah. So just it just seriously, it, I feel like Feed Valley is way beyond me or Adi or Santi. It's grown to be get this its own. It has its own life now. Mm-hmm. It's like with a community of donors, like everyone helping each other, everyone coming with ideas. It has just become this its own organism. Like, mm-hmm. I know it sounds weird, but I really do feel Feed Valley has become its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like we support it, and yeah. you support it. Yeah. And that's what it means. It's been really supported by so many people. We're all holding it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's gonna. Tracing back to like your whole journey of how you develop this depth of compassion to like to give so much to the community. Seems like from the very beginning you were raised with certain values by your parents and then even though you got lost somehow like it got stuck in the corporate world and then like listening to your voice and then like moving to Bali and then really learning the values of the community and that really reminded you of yes. the values that are so important to you. Exactly. That's exactly what, and you'll see that in my book, the first book, that's exactly the journey I had mm. because I was still wavering back and forth between yeah. the corporate world and what I thought were the expectations that I had to do with myself. You know, I went to business school. All my friends are super successful. I should be that person too. Yeah. How can I just give up everything and move to valley yeah. like it's just like this isn't this is like the time before digital nomads the time for instagram yeah. like there are no solo woman childbirth yeah. you know what i mean like this is 21 years ago right like, we didn't even have internet here like yeah. it was so everything was so basic here yeah so it's not like today where this might be more of the norm it was yeah. really what my family and friends probably thought i was crazy um but it really just forced me to look at myself and really figure out what was really important and just listen to a voice. Like, because I have friends who would be like, oh, I have to make my first million before I'm 30. And they did it. Like, they're really successful and did it. But when they said those things, it would actually hit me like, is that important to me? Like, I never even thought about making a million before I was 30. So, because I think because my friends showed me that, it showed me what I didn't need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And also, my mom always said, put yourselves in other people's shoes. So when I met people in Bali here, I met Adi, and I could see how kind they were and how they didn't have much, but they had so much. Right. You know? And I was thinking, we're all messed up. We think that this is having a lot. Yeah. But actually, they have the most. And I could clearly see that. Right? It's like, when I used to walk around in Canada or Hong Kong, I used to like walk around with smiling and laughing all the time. And people would tell me I was too loud. People would tell me I was laughing too much. 
And isn't that odd? Like mm. when you think about it, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. it's not right to smile yeah. and laugh. And like, you know, like if you're just like, seriously, if you're in Toronto and you're like walking down the street or sitting in the subway and you smile at someone, they would just think you're kooky. Mm. They would not think you're friendly. Wow. You know, it's just really weird perception that the world has now. There, people are afraid. Yeah. Like you're supposed to fit into this box and like this strict, like a straight jacket. Yeah. Avoid, just be serious. Yeah, like, don't be too much. Yeah. Like, don't be too happy. Yeah. Don't be too sad. Yeah. You can't go either way. You have to yeah. be like conform. Yeah. And, like, you know, don't stand out. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, it's really weird. Yeah. The society really has this, I don't know what happened because, you know, we went to the 60s and there's the hippies and rock, like rock and roll in the 70s and the 80s it had like mod and like, I don't know what happened in the 2000s. So it became so, as you said, materialistic. Yeah. Is if they forgot about individualism almost, mm-hmm. you know, and also community. Yeah. They both forgot individualism as well as community at the same time. And I don't know how they did that, <laughs> but, but they did somehow. Yeah. It's like yeah. weird. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was I was I was I was in there. I was in yeah. that sphere of yeah. when you say when your friends say, Oh, I want to make my million dollars before 30 hours. Yeah. I had that goal too. Yeah. But and because I was so deep into this matrix, I, I never even questioned, like, why did I actually want it? Right. Like, just because everyone wants it. And then I was, oh, that's so cool. Like, I have this FOMO and like, okay, that's the benchmark for success of how, like, how, what does it mean to make it in this slide? But I never really questioned, is that really what I want? Like, yeah. what's next after I make that money? Well, another friend, also when I was, just before I moved to Bali, this is way back 22 years ago, she was also highlighted something to me because she is also super successful. But she said to me, Francis, you're so, you seem really happy. And like, I always have all these goals and I always achieve them. She does. She's super successful. But every time I achieve them, I don't have happiness when I achieve it. And I don't understand why. She goes, I go, well, do you appreciate what you've done at that point? She goes, no, because I'm on to the next thing. Mm. I go, well, that's why. Because you you don't even celebrate what you've yes. done. Just stop, pause, and appreciate. <laughs> so that's another part of happiness, appreciate and being grateful for exactly what you have at that moment. Mm. And I see that bounty people have that a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so messed up. The society just gets it all wrong. Like, we've all been... Chasing after all this like materialistic success and like right. what for, what and then for, you right? get sad and like you feel empty yeah. and you should because you think it should fill you up, yeah. right? Because you've achieved it. Yeah, that's the conundrum that you have. You're like, okay, I did it, mm-hmm. and what now? Yeah, right. You don't know what to do with that. Yeah, because that's you didn't know why you wanted that goal in the first place, as you said. Like you think you know, and like sometimes it serves a really good thing, like. I mean, if you do that and it gives you the freedom to do something good with it, then you've transferred that money energy into something good. Yeah. So, but is that pivot that hasn't been outlined to a lot of people yet? Mm. You know, the only goal was to make the million. But what do you do with that million? Yeah. And I think now your generation is figuring it out. Like, (laughs) oh, we have to do something with that million. Yeah. And that's what I'm excited about. Because I get that. I think your generation is going to do really amazing stuff. because. You are becoming more conscious. Mm. Like you're not my generation world, which is like go 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 go. Mm. You you actually stopped and thought about it. You're like, hey, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, whereas my generation, most of it yeah. just kept going and are still going. Yes. So it's totally different. Yeah, I see that. Well, for the audience who hasn't figured it out, <laughs> the secret in life for happiness is to give back. Yes, it's so simple, but yet so profound. But like nobody, yeah. people get it all wrong. You know, yeah. like what to do in life. Um, yeah, so we're coming to an end now, and we've talked about there's so much like wisdom i feel like in this conversation and to unpack it but if you want the audience to walk away with something what would that be well i think listening to your own voice and finding quiet time to do that Mm -hmm. is really important and as you said the source of happiness is giving back and it could be giving anything a smile Mm -hmm. appreciation to your mom (laughs) um just saying thank you to something and yeah i think that is a source of happiness to be very grateful for what you have and yeah and give back definitely saying um if people want to connect uh with you and feed valley how can they find out more so they can go to www uh well feedvalley.com is that and also you can follow us on instagram um also it's instagram uh dot feed 
uh, feed underscore Bali. Mm. And I think you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes and look out for Francis's uh, book that is coming soon, yep. uh, birthday in October. Yep. And that's under Francis yeah. and F-R-A-N-C-E-S and the last name is T-S-E. So I'll have a website done up and also you can follow me on Instagram as well. Yeah. A gu- guaranteed better love story than Fifty Shades of and lastly, my fundraiser is still ongoing. There's yes. probably about like nine days left. I'm raising. He's almost there. I'm almost there, guys. I'm going to publish this episode as soon as possible to, yes. to gain more exposure. So if you're uh, interested, if you feel called to give back, you could donate to my fundraiser. I'll put the link in the show description. Thank you, Andrew. And next time, Ayurjiko is also going to go to the village and you'll see more Valley too. Yes. Yes. With that, we're going to conclude. And thank you so much, Francis, for doing what you're doing. Um, actually, I want to share my my takeaway from, from this conversation. Like, I think what I walked away was when you said that it's all about giving back and that's connecting to our essence uh, of our humanity, which is not to make a lot of money, like to satisfy our own needs, but to really see what's our role in the bigger collective and the uh-huh. community. And that's what really at the end of the day when i look back in my life that's what gives me so much meaning and also to surrender (laughs) your life story is just like the the exemplary story of like life sometimes universe has a certain path for you and you just can't force your way like against it you just have to listen and like follow and surrender so beautiful life my life is like it it basically is a definition of surrender. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Francis. Thank you. Thank you.